0: from the internet it's the local host podcast with mark drew and rob dudley hello from the internet in this episode we change things up with our very special guest chris ferdinandi chatting all about javascript let's get on with the show hello chris welcome hey, to the Mike. show Thanks so much for having me, man. It's great to be here. My pleasure. Since we couldn't get Rob this week, we thought we'd replace him with a much more intelligent and brighter person. then um, there's <laughs> a lot more about well, JavaScript. I don't know about that, but certainly better looking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Glad that Rob isn't here to defend himself. So, Chris, we are known for, for maybe lambasting JavaScript a little bit on this show. So mm-hmm. I think it's very good to get, have an actual expert on the show rather than Two muppets like ourselves discussing it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Chris. Yeah, so I am a, a JavaScript
1: educator. I'm self-taught. In a previous life, was an HR guy and HR I, guy in H- Yeah, HR. yeah. So I was a human resource guy. Please don't hold it against me. They're terrible. And I. Um, <laughs> I had an HR blog. I was kind of tinkering around with it because I wanted it to look a very specific way. And I was hating all of the out of the box WordPress themes that I was working with at the time. And eventually decided I liked it so much better than what I was doing at my day job that I decided that's what I wanted to do as a career. But getting hired as someone who just knew HTML and CSS was proving really difficult. So I taught myself JavaScript as well. And it was really hard. Like getting the HTML and CSS stuff down was easy. I found JavaScript a lot harder and I wanted to make it easier for other folks who wanted to follow a similar path. So I started creating JavaScript tutorials originally just started with me sharing stuff that I was learning as I was going, um, but eventually I noticed that so many people seem to really like my JavaScript focused stuff more than my other
0: stuff. That I just completely doubled down. It's kind of funny that you're saying that. That you know, you doing your own blog, your own WordPress themes mm-hmm. as a young person or a younger person. I remember like the MySpace days and the Live Journal days, and I well, I remember the GeoCity days. But mm-hmm. is that, that if you wanted to get anything out there you actually had to tinker and modify it yourself Mm -hmm. and you're able to to do that right really on these publishing systems which were kind of like the facebook of the time but now facebook (laughs) you can't tinker anything with it right You, you you can't you know adjust your your twitter banner to have like sparkles over it yeah even myspace
1: let you do that but facebook came along and right no yeah so tinkering Tinkering can still be easy. There are some platforms that are trying to bring it back. Glitch most obviously jumps to mind. Glitch is trying to bring back the like the weird GeoCities-esque days of web development. But even though my whole thing is teaching people JavaScript, I generally agree with you you and rob like i think we um we over engineer things we make it too hard javascript in particular is way more complicated than it or at least the way we work with javascript is way more complicated than it needs to be a lot of times and that's really what i wanted to talk to you guys about today um, or talk to you about today mark was how i think we're doing it wrong how i think a lot of what people consider modern best practices are actually
0: bad for the web and making things worse not better i am 100 agree- percent <laughs> agreeing with you on that but <laughs> i think if we get into what j- javascript itself is a great language it's a nice functional language it's easy to yeah understand mm-hmm. apart from the nulls are not a number business the mm-hmm. yeah, if you get Just into the, the, n- the weird little rough edges that every programming language happens sure yeah, yeah i get it the foibles has, yeah. is the things that make it unique yeah i think it's because it's now become such a a bit of a monster in the sense of like it's now server side and client side and we're trying to solve a lot of problems that the browser vendors now sold for us. I don't know if that makes sense, you know, like the browser mm-hmm. wars have kind of been won. I mean, kind of no. Yeah, so
1: yes, for some reason we keep breaking things the browser gives us out of the box with javascript and then recreating them again with javascript.
0: What do you mean? What, what Give me an example.
1: Yeah, so there are, there are a lot of them. You know, So one of the things that comes to mind is like routing. So browsers, by default, give you routing. You click on a URL, it takes you to a different place. Right. The URL updates. You can click the back button and go back to the old place. But then single-page apps came along, and now all of a sudden they break that out-of-the-box routing, so you need to throw in some more JavaScript to handle kind of the what happens when you click a link business. Right. And then that breaks the forward and back button, so you need to add some more JavaScript to handle that. And then that breaks focus management, so you need to add some more JavaScript to handle that. And then it becomes kind of this, like, JavaScript all the way down thing, Mm -hmm. where every time you add a new... you replace a native browser feature with a JavaScript version, you have to write even more JavaScript to catch some additional stuff. And the reason we went to single-page apps in the first place is not exclusively, but in in part because we started using more JavaScript and our web pages started getting slower. And someone figured out that if you just kind of load only the content and not the other stuff, you can bring some performance back. And like, right. So it seems like every time we try and do more with JavaScript, we make certain things worse that we try and then
0: fix with even more JavaScript. And it's like this vicious cycle. Yeah, and they stay there because let's say, for example, this whole thing about putting it, and it's a good idea, right? Putting all the JavaScript in one file so you're only delivering one chunk. Right mm-hmm. So th- there's less requests, but this was a problem with HTTP one, right? Mm-hmm. HTTP2 mm-hmm. has kind of solved that, and it's, it's even sometimes better if you actually have multiple chunks if you're using HTTP2. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, speed tests vary, but that's what I'm reading. Uh, if you have a test and don't email it to me and say, yes, but you're wrong. But it, it just depends, right? But ACTP2 too, took all of that out because you don't have the handshaking. It's like at the end of the day, you're delivering X amount of bytes, right? So as long as it's, you're not sending a whole bunch of stuff. but mm-hmm. And you have gzip compression. So for, why are we compressing all these JavaScript files into like illegible stuff because when, we could, when actually we have gzip compression and the machines at the end are pretty powerful, right? Oh, gzip compression is
1: amazing. Yeah, the the thing with http2, this is a little bit of a like a detour, but I'm of the opinion that I feel like it's great for the browsers that support it, but the browsers that need more performance gains the most are the ones and the devices that need those performance gains the most are often the ones that don't support HTTP2. Neither here nor there. Like, I'm, I'm okay with splitting JavaScript into multiple files. I think my bigger problem is just that we use too much damn JavaScript in the first place. Like, we're mm-hmm. doing things with JavaScript that are better handled by other parts of the stack for a whole variety of reasons that we can get into. We've kind of hit this point now where all of the HTML and all of the CSS and just all of the things are in JavaScript.
0: Right. I mean, I can see some parts making sense that you have something that you have used throughout the, the website, let's say like a widget or something like that, and you're doing it into a component that you can use again and again. But when you go like the whole site is this, uh, my H1 tag is a component uh, for reasons, you know. <laughs> and then that leads to, for, yeah, for quote-unquote reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. But so so just one thing, you, you, you have a website called Go Make Things which I love the title of that. It's just like, just go make things. Thank you. Personal philosophy of mine. Yeah. Um, and on there, you've, you've got a whole bunch of tips. And is, was this from you learning or is this, is this continually updated now?
1: Yeah, it, um, it started when I was just learning. Um, so as I would learn new things, I would write about them. It has now evolved into an every weekday kind of thing. So um, okay. every Monday through Friday, I share a new javascript tip trick technique answer a reader question mm-hmm. sometimes i'm sharing some awesome stuff i found from other places around the web mm-hmm. tools or things that make working with our
0: craft easier do, do you yeah. do that, uh, like a mail out of this or something
1: yeah or yeah so I you can um you can still sign up via rss if that's kind of your, oh. your jam i'm a big rss guy so yeah I, um, me too man i, I, I mean, enjoy it but yeah, the primary the primary method is um, they get posted on my website and then they get automatically sent out to an email list. So if you add your name cool. to it, I'm just I'm finding that RSS is as much as I love it, it never really caught on the way I hoped it would, especially after Google killed off Google Reader. Mm. And there are some replacements, but um, it seems like when that died, a large portion of the industry shifted away from it. And so yeah, so I still do the newsletter thing, um, which is nice in the sense that when I send out a new tip every day i get responses back from people by email so that's kind of a nice thing people just hit reply and brilliant it goes to my real email address we chat i make friends it's cool
0: <laughs> the world becomes a better place right i mean i think yeah, also, yeah. as well like going another another deviation here but rss was in my uh, apple or in the mail app mm-hmm. in apple right and that was great because i had my email i had my news that was coming in all in one spot and then they removed it. I didn't realize they removed it at one point. And now it's... <laughs> I was like, wait, uh, how do I do this? And I couldn't find a, a similar app. And, of course, that that kind of killed it. And I don't know why it killed it. I think I have conspiracy hat, you know, tinfoil hat on. And I think it's like news organizations didn't want that because they wanted you reading, like, their news. Mm-hmm. It was taking away from their bottom line. Yeah, I could see that. That's...
1: Um not completely out of the realm of possibility. Apple also just, like, removes random stuff because simplicity, you know? Right. So, like, give me my damn ports back on my MacBook Pro, yeah. you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. That, 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 that's one path I don't want to go tread down again. Oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll we could fill a whole show with just me yeah. ranting about that, Mark. So. This is, like, you know, like, this is not going to be coming through our podcast of us going, right? <sighs> uh, um, but, so let's go back to your website go make things.com which is mm-hmm. easy yep. but in there you've got you're talking about the lean web about I've got to say I had a period I, I did a lot more server side and a lot more mm-hmm. management side rather than ho- holistic web development and then I came back and there was a whole bunch of package managers and I, I seem to have missed one bit and came back and it was incredibly difficult to to get that pixel on the screen mm-hmm
1: yeah, when I talk about this with other people, I often talk about how I feel like I learned during this like sweet spot of web development where powerful native features had emerged and the ease of use was there like Now you read these articles on how to get started and you have to install eight things before you can get up and running and there's all this command line nonsense which, nothing against command line, I use it, but like, I'm just thinking about being a beginner who has no idea what they're
0: doing trying to get up to speed. Yeah, it's just, it's bonkers. It's like one of those conversations that you have, right, which is like, and I've tried to do this, it's like, okay, I want to do a Hello World with Webpack. (laughs) Well, that's like a few hours out of my day.
1: (laughs) Versus, Open your text editor, create an HTML file, type an H1 tag, hit save, and you're done. Yeah. Uh, And I shouldn't say tag, element. It's just old habits. I still Mm -hmm. call elements tags a lot. But it's gotten really, in many cases, needlessly complicated. I am very much, I don't want to say anti-framework, but I think that many of the justifications people give for using them are not good, for lack of a better word, I don't mean to be insulting, but like, you know, like there's one of the big arguments is, well, you know, like useful abstractions and working at scale and performance. And a lot of those reasons either don't apply to most people who use them or are hindered by the tool itself. Right. Performance, for example, frameworks absolutely can improve performance of large scale web applications. When you're talking about lots and lots and lots of data thousands and thousands of data objects within your state facebook has that twitter has that i'm going to assume like an application like quickbooks for like an accountant has that my wife's an accountant so i see her use quickbooks all the time and i
0: certainly.
1: open up <laughs> i go nerd and i open up dev tools and look at the data objects that are coming right. through and so at that scale a framework certainly can improve performance when you're doing a lot of real-time DOM manipulation based on user interactions. Mm -hmm. Most developers are not working at that scale. Um, Most developers who are using frameworks are not working at that scale. And the whole, like, the DOM is... I hear this argument all the time. Like, the DOM is slow. Interacting directly with the DOM is slow. And relative to, say, working with JavaScript memory, Mm -hmm. sure. In the context of a real-world application of the nature that most people do, the types of performance improvements you see from the framework are not... Meaningful in a way that would be perceptible to the user. The user's not going to be like, oh, this app is like 20 milliseconds slower. This is awful. I'm not going to, you know. Like, it's just the performance gains you get are not there and the amount of extra bytes that you have to send down the wire in the first place and the amount of additional kind of fragility and complexity you add around your app yourself go up quite a bit, increasing the likelihood that... The file never reaches the user in the first place. Uh, other developers have a tougher time getting started, especially if they're more junior. You know, even just kind of that time to first interactive pixel on the page, users are going to be staring at white screens for longer, waiting for stuff
0: to load. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I've seen that that, that that you kind of raise is like you know okay yeah the Facebook is like well Facebook are using it. it's like well they have a different use case. I I think I read something recently which was mm-hmm. uh, about Netflix and I was going are you really making a video streaming app? There aren't that many people making video streaming apps. Netflix
1: also uses Vanilla JS on the front end. They use React on the back end as like a templating language, but okay that ships your initial HTML view. But then. From there, it picks up and they use vanilla. They actually, an article was written about this not that long ago by um, Addy Asmani over at uh, Google. He talked about how they saw a massive improvement in performance on their front end by ditching their React front end. And, you know, to your point, their app is certainly a lot more complicated than what a lot of developers are doing. But like, it's, it's always, it's this thing of scale, like, well, you know, it's scale. And it's like, well, are, are you at that scale? When do you think you're going to get at that scale? People build these apps with the intention that they're going to get huge. And it would be awesome
0: if they did. But most people's
1: apps don't hit that level of scale.
0: Mm-hmm. No, um, it's true. I mean, um, what are we talking about scale here? I mean, a number of users, complexity of app? Yeah, I, well, it's, it's fuzzy, right? I, I
1: guess, yes to both. I often think about scale in terms of like the amount of the amount of data that has to be handled by the app, the amount of front-end kind of complexity that's involved or different pieces that are going to get manipulated. Like a a Twitter feed, for example, comes to mind where you just have a lot of tweets all kind of flowing in. You can make a very strong argument that for them, working with like a virtual DOM model is potentially more, more beneficial. The other thing here is you can use... The virtual DOM, you can use abstractions without needing to pull in, uh, you know, like 100 kilobytes or 50 kilobytes of framework, too. There are like smaller, more
0: modular tools that will get you to the same place with less overhead. And what I find interesting about a a lot of the frameworks is that they're taking, they're adding features to to JavaScript. But over the last four years, I'm going to say, JavaScript has actually finally been advancing a lot faster. Oh, yeah. It stagnated for many years uh, that the frameworks kind of filled in that, right? Mm-hmm. Filled in that that feature gap. Modern JavaScript
1: is is very powerful, very capable a lot of the things that you would have historically leaned on even something like 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 a library like jquery 4 have found their way into native api features. Alex Russell is a he works on chrome as a a project manager and uh, he periodically rants about the amount of javascript that we're sending down the wire but he recently just went on another kind of tweet storm about say a project like react duplicates a ton of platform level stuff within their system so like their event management system is duplicating a lot of stuff that the browser already gives you for free out of the box.
0: And which one's going to be faster? JavaScript running on on, on in the DOM or C++ already compiled <laughs> and running in there? Your- right? Like the
1: the native browser APIs can just do so much for you and a lot of what they can't you can shim with polyfills. Like you don't need to bring in a whole framework to just to make sure you work across browsers that don't have all of the feature parity. You can right. you can run some polyfills to handle that for you. And I'm, in particular, a really big fan of services like Polyfill.io that detect the browser the person is using and send them just the polyfills they need. So if you're on the latest Chrome, you get nothing. Okay. And if you're on something like IE8, you get about 15 kilobytes minified and gzipped of polyfills that give you things like promises and the fetch API and a lot of the modern ES6 DOM manipulation methods and event listeners and just all sorts of good stuff. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That, that sounds like a very handy thing to, to just get stuff
1: out of the way, right? Yeah, you just don't even think about it. Just load it on your project, call it a day. Brilliant. So I advocate for more of that, like just leaning on what the browser gives you out of the box. It's it's going to be faster. You can shim it for people who don't have it. You know, like one, one of the other things that comes up here too is like when you talk about this sort of thing, yeah. You know, you move past the, well, apps at scale conversation, and then you get into, well, you know, we're working on a team. Like, I don't have time to, you know, recreate all of the features I would get from this thing in vanilla and then document it. And this helps everybody speak the same language so that we're all kind of working from from the same foundation. So we all have.
0: Right. You know, we're all working with the same the same platform, and that's usually the the, the main argument for frameworks. Is like there is documentation, there is, and it's not your team that's managing the documentation.
1: And I'm going to be honest, that is a really fair complaint. Like one of the big things that drove me to start, like I have a whole handful of I call them pocket guides around vanilla JavaScript stuff, and one of the big drivers for creating those was that mm-hmm. there's not a single source of documentation for a lot of the native stuff like you get with Vue or React or jQuery, like one of the ways jQuery wins is they have phenomenal documentation. Vue has phenomenal documentation. And the native APIs have the Mozilla developer network, which is really good in some places and really lacking in others because it's a
0: community-driven effort. And gotcha. Some of the stuff is is written better than others. And-, and that's what happens with community-driven efforts anyway. But other frameworks get big unless they, can, they get really big and they get well-funded that's going to happen right so (laughs) you're going to have community writing it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and
1: i I sympathize with that i think it's a I i think it's an accurate and it's a fair statement it's a big part of the reason why most people or why a lot of people lean on these tools is the documentation piece
0: i think but part of the documentation piece is uh one of the issues with it is that is good for the framework, but then you start actually writing the code. And this is with any code, right? If you go to Java, yes, you've got Java docs, but uh, that, that document the the base API, I guess you could call it, of Java, for example. But you can still have really shitty Java code. <laughs> that is the the bit that you own, right? As a as a as the owner of that project.
1: Oh yeah, and in my experience, most internal documentation is terrible. So documentation around how your specific app works is often
0: the piece that gets lacking. So And that's the most important one, right? That's that's literally the the one that um, you need to have because you have other developers coming on board to work with you. The the framework about how you pick elements from the DOM, who cares? You can can you figure it out or you can rewrite it or you can do whatever, right? But is I think it, I think there's an over reliance of saying we're gonna use a framework as an alternative to just writing things properly or documenting things succinctly you know
1: yeah and then you know like along those along those same lines if you get a competent javascript developer who knows the native browser stuff then you know the whole well the framework is well documented piece doesn't apply and you know we've talked a little bit about the complexity of getting these frameworks set up um you know i was was actually talking to someone who runs or who works Uh, manages a team in a react house. And he said that the typical startup time for their new developers is it takes them about a week just to get set up with all the stuff they need. Okay. That's pretty high to get running. Yeah. And like, once you, once you get there, you're off to the races, but you know, like there's still kind of this like gatekeeping thing that happens where these tools, you know, they may be well-documented, but they're not necessarily easy to get going for beginners. Like jQuery was really easy for beginners. You just drop a script tag on a page And you can start going, but a lot of these modern frameworks, because because of all the stuff that they do, they are not they are not simple. It's not you know spinning up a Hello World app is is a lengthy task, not like a a quick and easy thing. And it
0: only gets worse when you're working on like real applications. Right, and and some of it's not self evident because it's solving problems that as a beginner you don't know you have. Mm -hmm. Right, and and it's happened to me. It's like before. So why am I using this Webpack? (laughs) <laughs> so that you don't send the same html with every page or something like that right i'm probably wrong but <laughs> and i'm and i'm like well who cares it'll be cached anyway if it's the same thing every page is going to be bringing it up who cares mhm here have the whole app you know uh, and they're like no 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 but you don't understand the, the 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 problem is because of this and this and this and there's a there's a sequence of dependencies in the in the problem not so much just dependencies that this is solving which you cannot see at the beginning and sometimes, or all, at all right the middle. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Webpack. I have a special disdain for like module
1: loaders and things like that. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's obviously another like another clear piece of it. I've also heard a lot of folks say that these tools let me, or they let us as a team work easier and faster. And I think that's true if you're at a certain level of proficiency, and your core competency is JavaScript. But that's not true for all folks on your team. Um, I see this argument come up a lot less with frameworks and more with things like CSS and JS. So yeah. you know, I, rather than writing in a CSS file, I'm going to write in a JavaScript file and let it handle what gets loaded where and yada yada yada. And you know, it lets us. You know, we don't have to think about it. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's that's because you are a JavaScript developer. Your CSS specialists are not, and now they're not able to yeah. work as meaningfully on your platform as they were before. This came up recently with WordPress. Their new backend editing platform, Gutenberg, is built on React, whereas historically it was written in PHP with some jQuery sprinkled in. And uh, their accessibility team had no one on their team who was, they were all very, very competent accessibility experts, but they were not React developers. And so they'd get these things back from the React team who had no accessibility specialists on there, and there'd be all sorts of errors and where before they could just go in and address them or, you know, like show examples to the team on how things should be, they were no longer able to do that in a meaningful way. And this really detailed audit of that platform just came out a couple of weeks ago And it was literally like 200 and something pages long, just full of accessibility issues. Wow. Because the accessibility team couldn't, the lead accessibility person, um, Rian Reitwald, she quit before the product launched because she felt like she couldn't, couldn't engage meaningfully the way she wanted to, the way she had historically. And yeah, the platform is just riddled with accessibility issues because it's, potentially easier for a narrow slice of the team, but not for everybody. And so you create this kind of gatekeeping scenario. And I see the same thing happen with beginners. You know, like maybe it's easier for your senior devs. It's certainly not easier for your
0: beginner devs. I think what comes from this is is knowing that beginners aren't specifically someone that wants to become good at JavaScript. Yeah. A beginner might be other people in your, ne- in your team that are working... I mean, um, there's not that many HTMLers, but I have met people that, are, that work just in HTML stuff, right? Uh, and CSS. And that's what they do, you know? The more common use case is
1: you have folks who are strong HTML and CSS experts, but not JavaScript experts. And to be honest, most JavaScript experts that I know, a lot of times they call themselves full stack developers. Sometimes they're just JavaScript developers, but they're often not experts at CSS. They know CSS. But they're not experts at it. And there's a lot of stuff you could do better, faster, easier with CSS that they sometimes turn to JavaScript for, often in the way of like animations and things like that. Oftentimes, it's user experience professionals, people who, who work very closely with things like interaction models and making sure that things are going to be usable for people who are using mm-hmm. your app. They're not JavaScript experts, but they can often muck around with HTML and CSS. Accessibility specialists are not always... JavaScript experts. And if they know JavaScript, they often don't know framework-flavored JavaScript. Sometimes they do, but not always. And so those are all really important people on the team that get left out of the development process when you start leaning heavily on these tools.
0: Oh, they all have to get educated up. And it's a bit kind of weird because they're like, why am I learning this stuff? I'm not going to be a JavaScript developer. I'm a, I'm a UX you know, especially exactly, family. yeah, exactly. I mean, UX specialists might be slightly different, but also the the, the thing that kind of bugs me, and, and, and I'm sure there's loads of people now listening, and they're gonna, I'm gonna get hate mail in a second, is that all of these different tools. If you know what they're able to do, sometimes you don't need JavaScript to do animation because you can do that in CSS. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all you have to do is maybe change a class, and an animation will play, or you know, yeah. uh, things will. You know, uh, you'd have nice layouts without having to do any JavaScript kind of work. You don't have to have an event model that says, "Okay, now because the browser's changed size, we're going to put the thing here." You know, which is what Twitter
1: does actually. So they have a um, completely media queryless responsive layout, and it works by using JavaScript events and like, just a whole ton of JavaScript to detect the viewport size and drop a whole bunch of styles in line into the DOM at page load. And then again, if the viewport ever resizes for some reason, I guess they account for that somehow. They brag about this having reduced their total CSS file size from, I think it was like 320 kilobytes or so down to like 60, which is a huge, huge, huge reduction in file size and an amazing performance win. But like, I can't help but think you could have gotten there just writing better CSS in the first place you know right i don't see what about any ui let alone the twitter ui warrants a css file of that size and that's not i suppose in some ways that is a knock on the developers there but it's sometimes it's just the factor of like you have a lot of different teams working on a lot of different right. kind of facets of a file and the file grows over time like i get that i understand how these things happen but like that's a people problem that you're just throwing more tech at and i'd love to see things like that managed with better internal discipline Maybe someone whose job it is to kind of ensure these things don't happen, or even just some audit tools that kind of run through CSS files and prune dead code, or ensure that there's no class collusions. like
0: this. Are sort you going of- to say to throw more tech at the tech problem that, that you threw tech at to solve at the beginning?
1: Yeah, no, I guess that <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair,
0: but like I don't. Yeah, it just it all seems over engineered. You know what I mean? I don't have a, a issue with stuff like linters and things that are helping me as a developer. Yeah, As I go, right? Yeah, for sure. I use them too. They're awesome. And the packaging stuff, the dependency tree for JavaScript is another thing that I kind of worried about a lot. Because I started seeing everything depends from everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. But it's like this, this tiny dependencies. LeftPad being the, the, the famous <laughs> one. But, <laughs> uh, well, okay, that broke half the internet. Or most of it. Because you depended on something that added... Something that you probably didn't need, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, before I start getting on, on my, my next pulpit, but you do a whole bunch of guides, don't you? Yes, yeah, I have uh,
1: about eight of them, soon to be nine, a couple more. A couple more on the hopper. What, what 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 are they about?
0: I mean, I, I'm going to guess JavaScript, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's... um, They're all focused on vanilla JavaScript, and the... Okay. the You're like, how can you have eight eight or nine things on that but so like the the big difference between what I do and what a lot of other I think educators do is so you often see these courses and it's like 25 hours of in-depth blah 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 and in my mind I'm like man who the hell has time for that I don't have time for that so I write I call them pocket guides because they're very narrow they're very focused and they're designed to get you in and out in an hour or less they all include some really just kind of focused here are the important things you need to know to Mm -hmm. use this you know working type scenario here's a small little project we'll build together so you can kind of apply some of this stuff and really lock it in now get the hell out of here and go actually make stuff like don't you know you shouldn't have to spend hours and hours and hours learning this stuff the best learning is by getting just enough to get you started and then going off and actually applying this stuff in projects so you know i have one that's just focused on browser storage. I have another j- that just looks at how to work with APIs in JavaScript. Another one that is only about DOM manipulation. So we're not going like soup to nuts. Everything you need to know about JavaScript is a beginner. These are like really focused on very specific kind of tasks. Um, DOM injection gets its own thing because there's so many different ways to handle that. and So right. many kind of caveats and edge cases. Um
0: Enough yeah, so information all, to be dangerous, in other words.
1: Yes. Yeah, I suppose, technically. The DOM injection one, I actually make a point of talking specifically about like dangers, like cross-site scripting attacks and how you avoid them. Okay. The kind of things that if I lump that in with more material, you wouldn't be able to go... You wouldn't really be able to cover because you would run out of time. Or you would overwhelm people. Like There's only so much the brain can absorb at once. And uh, a lot of this was born out of... I bought a lot of educational material that... I was like, oh, what a great value. You get all this stuff for like, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever, but then you literally just never get to it because starting it seems daunting because there's just so much to like, to learn.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's time that's the, the expensive stuff, not the buying the material.
1: Yeah, whereas this gives you quick wins, you know? Like, here's a narrow thing, you just want to... And then the nice thing about the format I've heard from my students is that they can use it as a reference material later. So when they want to like, oh yeah, how do you do this quick thing? Let me just... Mm-hmm. Hit the table of contents and jump to this section, and call it a day.
0: Oh, that's perfect. So, so we spent the last half hour or so lambasting frameworks, but I hear you built one. <laughs>
1: uh, no, not exactly. I I did. So I built an alternative to Vue, just to see like how much you could do with not a lot, and a lot of that was born out of the whole like. So, so one of the things I think frameworks do really well is state-based UI. I'm on the fence about whether like data reactivity is really like this holy grail that everybody makes it out to be. I see some benefits to it. I also see some reasons why, you know, maybe you're better off not doing it. But the bigger thing is really kind of the state-based UI and only like changing the things that need to change. So I I love the idea of you have an object of data and rather than having to like... I'll I'll use, this is a terrible example, like a to-do app, right? Mm -hmm. You you, you have a list of items that need to get done. Someone adds a new one. You go and you update the DOM with that method. And then someone wants to edit it. So you need to kind of figure out a way to surface some editing view and then update the UI when that to-do gets edited or marked complete or something like that. In an app like that, having to like very specifically target specific elements in the DOM and change them can get kind of annoying. And so the idea that you say, if my state looks like this, or if my data looks like this, here's what the UI should look like. If it looks like that, here's what it should look like. Mm. Like that, that conceptually makes a lot of sense. And I love the idea that you have a platform that can take that different, building something like that is relatively easy. You can do it with like inner HTML and just completely destroy the UI and build a fresh one every time. But that's also kind of stupid, both from like a, shouldn't say stupid, but it, it has some downsides, both from a kind of a performance and rendering perspective, and also from like a field and focus management perspective, where you're completely yeah. wiping out the UI every time. So what frameworks do that's really smart is they say, here's what the UI should look like, here's what it currently is, we'll figure out the differences between them and only change
0: the things that need changing. A good example would be, or an example would be, that if you're typing in your, in your to-do list And you've got some kind of markup, and it's live rendering it, right? Yeah, exactly. So so if you're you're typing in there, you know, looking at state management, if you're redrawing everything, you'd be losing focus all the time. You'd have to put some methodology in there to be bring focus back make sure the text that's already typed is pre-filled
1: and then like is the cursor in the right spot in that field And yeah exactly you know these frameworks don't have just that they have a ton of other stuff and I look at them like the smallest ones are around 30 kilobytes after minifying and gzipping which is not trivial and I'm like I wonder if you can build something that does that bare minimum smaller and I'm certainly not the only one who's come up with, uh, with this idea um uh what's his name? Uh, Andrea. Oh god, I'm completely drawing a blank on his name now. Um, there's this project called HyperHTML where uh, a gentleman named Andrea had the same exact thought and you know decided to go and build something that that did that. His version has a very like React-like syntax and I like Views syntax just a little bit more. It just makes more sense to me. So mm-hmm. I decided to try try to build something that did the DOM diffing for you and everything, but was small. Um, And so what I came up with was this project called Reef that um, is about three kilobytes minified and gzipped. If you add in data sanitization, which you should if you're working with third-party data, it jumps up to around eight kilobytes minified and gzipped. You're
0: crazy. You're cray-cray.
1: I mean, who's going to be using like eight (laughs) kilobytes, right? (laughs) And, you know, it's like, it's... I've used it on a couple of things. I I like it. It does just what I need and nothing more. Yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to abstractions. I'm not opposed to helper libraries, and like, but I just, these kind of boil the ocean frameworks, like the big, you know, another big argument as well. They're battle tested by all these, think, thousands of developers at hundreds of companies. And so they found all these bugs and edge cases and like, but yeah, but they also include bug fixes for bugs that you're never going to have. They include Features for edge cases that you'll never need. So you're yeah. like, you're picking up everybody else's cruft.
0: Imagine a car built like that, right? <laughs> I, I like to say it's like, it's got the four by four wheels, but it's also got the really narrow body to get down little streets off of Britain. And you'd know, <sighs> be like, push a button to make it wider
1: to go to, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like, it's, it's overkill for most use cases. And like, I get the appeal. I really do get the appeal of having something that's stable and like, Bug tested, like there's nothing against that. That all makes sense, but these tools include so much more than
0: that, and it's usually way more than you need. Well, I'm signing up for your mailing list right now, uh, thank you. and I think our, our listeners should because <laughs> they'll like it. And I, I like daily tips. Um, I think so too. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. That if- oh, was my absolute pleasure. This was uh, relatively
1: painless. It's, I rarely <laughs> meet such a sympathetic audience, Mark. So this is-
0: <laughs> You're on the right show this time. I was not going to start <laughs> pummeling my, my React agenda. So if people want to get hold of you, uh, where can they go do that? Yeah, the absolute place,
1: best place is Um That's kind of the jumping off point for all of my other... Other stuff. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, great. If you want to send me an email and tell me how much you hated everything I said, that's fine, too. I I like getting those emails as much as the the friendly ones. Yeah, and you can find my Twitter account, pictures of my dog, um, who is also my business partner,
0: if you want to Uh, send her. She
1: has a valid email address that works,
0: so you can email her, too, if you want. You're one up on my dogs. I've got three dogs, and one came and visited during the, the, the podcast, so if there's a little, like... Bit that I go silent is because I have to let her in, otherwise. Oh, she... that
1: was going on. Okay.
0: Yeah, right. yeah. Each time I disappeared was because the dog was actually wanting to come in to say hello, <laughs> and if I don't let her in, she'll stand there staring at the door throughout the podcast. That sounds about right. Yeah, mine is laying on the floor right next to me right now. So, so yeah.
1: So, dog people, and, and you also have a podcast. I do. Yes, it's a it's semi infrequent. So the the Vanilla JS podcast, where I every now and then rant about. Something JavaScript related. I am also on the JavaScript jab, uh, Jabber podcast. I always say JavaScript Jabber when I say that out loud um, as a host there, where I am the no frameworks are terrible voice in a sea of we love
0: frameworks okay. um, guests and co-hosts. So, but this new shiny thing with with and they always do a great demo to sell it to you. Come on. Oh yeah, for sure. But if you enjoy hearing people argue about things, then that's that's a good listen to. But um, well for our listeners if you have comments or suggestions for this podcast send them to me and i'll and i'll buffer i'll keep chris out of the loop if you have i mean if you have compliments send them straight to him but if you have anything send them to me at localhostfm on the twitter um am mark drew and thank you very much good night